Sales Stories, Raw and Real is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led and worked with, and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognize the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them, and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. Hello, everybody. Very excited today about my podcast guest, Karen Matthews. Karen and I first met just a couple of years ago, but it feels like we've been friends forever, and I hope we just, I hope we stay so. Uh, Karen and I met at a at a mentoring group actually, and. Um, and Karen has had a long career in retail. I'll let you hear from her directly about who she's worked for. Suffice to say that she ended up as the CEO of skincare company Ella Bache for 10 years. 2004, she was awarded the New South Wales Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award, among a bunch of other accolades. More recently, she started her own business called Karen Matthews, Inspiring Change, with the most awesome of kind of catch cries, which is wake up, kick ass, be kind and repeat, or something like that. But I'm welcome, Karen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool, cool. So, um, Do you know, I hear that quote. It resonates more and more. I love it. That doesn't surprise me in the least, having uh, having known you for just a couple of years. That's, um, yeah. yeah, Karen, could you just talk us through, um, you know, perhaps your your life up up to the point, and then um, when you started working, and how that how that um, how that went for you in the early years. Well, we won't be putting some date. We won't put dates on this little uh, on this little story because you know. For fear it might incriminate me. God forbid. <laughs> um, look, I think it, it's really interesting question, you know, talking about where you started and, you know, how you grew up because there's no question that stuff shapes, I, I, you know, is the essence as who, of who you are. And and as a kid, you know, I, I was always, I was the first child, one of three girls, um, and so I was always, you know, doing the right thing, looking after my sisters, you know, making sure I was pleasing mum and dad. You know, you know how that whole story that us, us hardworking first children have to bear. And, um, you know, and I think, I think the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, I was always one of those people that was there to please, right? And, you know, I went right through school um, and, you know, studied hard and and looked after my sisters and um and you know I never really was too naughty at school I never really jumped outside the square you know I mean you, there's the odd odd indiscretion but most of the time you know I was I was pretty good um and you know I always idolized my parents always idolized my parents um you know dad particularly was my hero mum was my quiet hero mum was one of those women I think that was born in the wrong era you know she really should have been born in my era because she had so many you know so many mountains to climb and so many worlds to conquer and you know wasn't able to do that and and you know dad was my corporate hero so I grew up with really strong role role models super close family um 
And I started, I, I did a Bachelor of Commerce at New South Wales, uh, majored in marketing, and, um, and I started life, instead of going down the path of fast-moving consumer goods like most people who did marketing went, which is like Kellogg's and Colgate and, um, you know, Unilever was the big company, um, and those people all just went down the full new product development, you know, product development um, path. I went into retail, you know. I actually wanted to be a detective. And I, the first campus interview I went to was ASIO, but I was too small. <laughs> so in those days, you had to start life as a policewoman, like on, on, the, on the beat, and you had to be five foot eight and a certain weight, and I wasn't any of those things. So um, that was the end of my detective um, aspirations, and I went into retail. And really, I, I, haven't looked, I haven't looked back. And I think what I love around retail is, and I worked this out very early on, I'm a real relationship person. I love people love people I never slept as a kid I'd stand up in my cot I'd wait for the milkman and I would talk his leg off mum would leave the blinds open just so I could talk to the milkman you know I I, I love people and I think you know those that stuff um, I'm sure is what sort of forced forced me down the retail track um, and uh, you know and, and I guess I went from there I, I went from you know eight years or so at the, within the Maya group in different buying and marketing roles then I went into a fashion company in product development and licensing which is very brand orientated and always lots of people always managing teams and functions and and relationships and always brands and always product um, and then from um, FJ Benjamin, then I went into Alabasha, as you, as you quite rightly pointed out, and had 10 magical years there as CEO. And, uh, you know, I, I think Alabasha for me was the culmination of a huge amount of learning. Alabasha was the first place where I kind of joined the dots around who I was as a professional and who I was as a leader. You know, I'd had eight years with Maya. Um, I'd had four years or five years with FJ Benjamin. So that's 12 or 13 years of my career before the penny dropped and I realised who I was as a leader. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. And I, and I heard Steve Jobs talk uh, not that long, not obviously a long while ago that he spoke, but I heard a recording of, of what he was talking about. And he used exactly that phrase, join the dots. And as it turns out, he quotes the fact that it took him 12 years to join the dots of, of who he was as a professional and, and as a leader. Um, and I think, you know, probably because I didn't consciously take the time to work that out, but I think because of the time it took for me to work that out is partly a blessing in disguise because it means that you can develop that depth. And I personally think um, in this day and age you, you need that depth of leadership to really be successful. And I guess, you know, we're going to talk about that a, a bit later. Yeah, and it'd be good to get it a word, and it's kind of my podcast, but um, <laughs> you never let that wear you. Um, can, can, can I ask you, Karen, um, you know, I love, I love, I, I was captivated, and I've heard yeah. you know, lots of your story over lots of times and coffees and uh, perhaps some wine. I can't quite recall those ones. But, um, <laughs> but when you say relationships, Talk to us about what you mean by relationships. Do you mean internal within your business and or external with your customers or, or, or both? Or I mean both. I mean both. Um, you know, there's a lot of sexy words being thrown around at the moment around trust particularly, um, about, you know, knowing your brand, uh, knowing your customer, knowing your client, 
you know, knowing yourself. But I guess those are just words unless you really learn how to put your own personality around those words and really do the work on defining what they mean for you in your business, um, in your life. Because if you don't, um, you end up tripping over yourself um, um, and, you know, you lose that authenticity, authenticity. And I think one of the things that for me is a massive, um, of massive significance is authenticity. Um, and, and I think people, even more so now than ever, they buy things and want to work with people they trust um, and people that they see as being authentic and consistent and, um, and really, you know, they have a connection with that brand or that person. Um, and that only comes from really knowing yourself and your product and your brand and truly shaping those words and making them your own. So they really come from the inside out. You know, they're part of your DNA. They're not just words that you've read in a book or you've heard on a podcast or, you know, they're, they're genuinely part of how you, how you roll. Well, I mean, I say about myself that I've been around the cat's ass a few times, which isn't a particularly pleasant saying, but you've been around a bit, right? Yeah. Why do you think the the there is has been this movement towards authenticity from the development of humankind? And that wasn't... I didn't start out thinking I'd ask you that question, but why, why do you think we're going there as humans? Because it is. Authenticity is becoming part of, you know, um, organisational. Yeah. I think it was a bit of a sort of, you know, mumbo-jumbo trendy word for a while. You know, I think a whole bunch of people were making money on teaching people how to be authentic. <laughs> you know, there was a hell of a lot of self-development going on and people were going, oh, I know, I'll be authentic. Um, <laughs> up, up until lunchtime. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and again, I just think you know you know yourself when you talk to someone that they're bullshitting you. You know that's not really who they are. You know if you're looking at them, you know there's no passion in their face. There's no real belief in what they're saying. You just know, and by the other token, you know those people that are really genuinely meaning what they're saying. Mm. You know? and, I, and I think, you know, the world for some time, I think as, as the world gets more competitive, you know, like often I say you can, buy, you, can buy a pair of, you can buy a pair of shoes anywhere. You can buy a pair of black stilettos anywhere, right? The place you will choose to buy your black stilettos is the shop or the brand that you genuinely connect with. You know, you can buy a hammer from anywhere, you know. You can buy a bag of concrete from anywhere. But the place you buy it is the place that you relate to for whatever reason it is. Um, and I think, you know, and, and that relationship has come from a level of you really believing and trusting and, and wanting to work with that person and, you know, wanting to help them out by giving them your business. And, and I think that in concept has been something that, People have been talking about it in theory, but I think now um, as the world's been getting more competitive, people have been sort of latching onto that concept. But I think now as the world's in turmoil um, and everybody's realising they have to be laser sharp and super focused, it's forcing people to go down that authenticity piece, uh, piece even more. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's a bit like a dripping tap. Finally people are starting to get it. But um, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
I mean, you talk about a guy like Steve Jobs who might have been at the peak of his powers 20 years ago, for example. I don't know his, his biography particularly well. But, um, you know, I like following some of those other guys like Henry Ford and I reckon he was onto something. Um, yep. I quote Dale Carnegie all the time. Yep. Um, his book was written nearly 100 years ago and those guys were onto it. They didn't stray. I think maybe the last 20 years we got a little bit detached because um, the pace of business sped up. Um, on the back of technology uh, and, and the world. People got on a bandwagon, you know. Like those guys have all crashed and burned, you know. Mm. Jobs, Jobs find, Steve Jobs found his niche by being fired from his own company. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, these guys crashed and burned, you know. They didn't just pop out and, you know, write a few books on authenticity and were successful. They actually learned, you know, hands-on, you know, they had a few kicks they fell over, they picked themselves up, they dusted themselves off and they had another crack, but they never really lost sight of who they were. So they yeah. just backed themselves, you know. They, they just backed themselves and they had the resilience, um, called maybe ego as well, a little bit of ego. You know, yeah. they had that resilience and that ego to just keep going because they really believed in their, in their, in their niche. And I think there's a, there's a massive thing in that. And it takes guts because, you know, as you know, Charlie, you know, you've got a special niche and not everybody understands that straight away or if at all. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I just find it fascinating, you know. I, honestly, I don't think, um, you know, we've got lots of toys and trinkets and things yeah. these days, but human nature hasn't really changed in a couple of thousand years. No. I find that a little bit sad. Yeah. Um, I, I mean... I could talk about it all night um, or and all day, but I, I guess I've got to bring myself back to the room here because I'm I, I'm I, I'm I'm obviously um, you know talking about sales stories raw and real, yeah. and uh, and I was wondering if you would share with the audience um, some of some of your experiences uh, um, in in selling three things really um, selling. Three things or three ways. First of all, selling yourself. Yeah. Um, and then then it's um, leading a business whose sales have grown exponentially for 10 years in, a, in one of the tougher markets, um, not just from a competitive point of view but a technological point of view and how quickly that moves. And then also from the angle of perhaps um, when you're the CEO of an organisation, you, you get sold to a lot. So can, can you maybe... Talk to us about those three angles of, of selling, starting with selling yourself, because that 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 probably is, that's where it begins. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think um, selling yourself—it's such a—it's such a complex topic, mm. <laughs> and I don't really—I don't like to call it selling myself. I like to call it backing myself, and I think it starts with knowing yourself. And knowing what your brand is, um, and I think you know, there's a really simple exercise. In fact, I did a, a post on LinkedIn today about this. Um, like, you just grab a to start, just grab a piece of paper, and just do a brain dump of all the words that describe who you are. You know, who who, who your brand is. You know, and you're just and if you have to think about it, then you're bullshitting yourself, right? These words should just fall out onto the paper. You know, and you'll get a collection of words about who you are as a brand or a business or a person, whichever way you want to approach it. Um, 
And that is really your your true essence. The, the stuff that falls out on the paper is really who you are. You know, you could be inquisitive, you could be curious, you could be heartfelt, you could be sensitive, you know, you could be a hard ass, you could be cold, you know, whatever it is. You could be intellectual, you could be left brain, right brain, whatever it is. Um, you know, you, you just do this this dump to try and understand yourself. And I think the biggest thing... I'm just really up there, Karen, because I'd, I'd, I'd like to point the people towards that post that you put on LinkedIn um, and or your website, which is Karen Matthews. Yeah, it's Karen, Math- Karen Matthews. Oh, Karen Matthews. Com. Au. Okay, so and, and it's the it's the eleventh of August today. So go find that pot. Go go find that material, guys, because I'm going to do it as soon as this finishes. Because it's a great exercise. Can I tell you, it is not rocket science. In fact, it's embarrassingly simple. <laughs> but. This, I've used this technique over and over again. In fact, I used it last week uh, with, with a business and uh, I got the founder or the owner of the business to tell his story right to the people in the room and we just sat there and I said, grab a pen and as he's talking, write down the words you hear him say, right? And then we, went, and then we just did a big dump of all the words that came out through his story and that essentially was what the brand was. Mm-hmm. So there was this wonderful butcher's paper or a couple of pages full of these words that depicted who, what this business was all about. Um, and when they looked at these words versus what they're actually doing at the moment as a business, they were like poles apart, mm-hmm. right? And then there's a whole bunch of work you have to do from that. But the point is in terms of selling yourself, my point is is know yourself first, like know what you stand for. Um, and I guess in doing that you also know what you don't stand for. You know what you're not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is okay and I think the big thing for me it took me a long time to be comfortable with what I'm not you know as a kid I wanted to please everybody as a young adult I wanted to please everybody and it's really only been in recent years that I've really been okay with the fact that I'm not going to please everybody I'm not for everyone you know there's a whole bunch of people that will really resonate with me my brand my business and then, you know what, there'll be probably as many who don't. And I think that is a massive learning for anybody, uh, particularly in sales, because salespeople want to be liked. Mm. You know, we all want to be liked. Yes. Um, and quite I guess redefine re- what like is. Yeah, it's quite a normal human reaction or emotion is the need for connection or to belong, you know. So it, yeah. is, it is one that um, you're lucky that you came across it in your early to mid-30s. Um, <laughs> Because others of us aren't quite so lucky. I wish. Yeah. So, so I think the thing is, you know, in selling yourself, I think the first tip is know yourself um, and be okay with what you're not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just understand, really understand the fact that there's, there's as many people who won't relate to you as who will. And you know what? There's a big world out there. There's a whole bunch of other brands and other options out there to suit that person. But you it, you will not have a successful long-term relationship working with people where you're not aligned. You know, you might get a short-term hit. You might get a short-term win. You might get a one-off sale. But it will probably end in tears at some point because that whole um, misalignment will will take over and cause dissatisfaction at, at some level. That's what, that's what I believe. Yeah. Um, what was the next? Oh, leading sales growth. Okay, so this yeah, was a big yeah. one. This was a big one. Um, when I was at 
Elevation. Sorry, sorry, Karen. Can I can I can I ask you? To set the scene for the for the listeners out there, all of them, um, if you could if you could just share with us when what did it start at and what did it finish at in the ten or twelve years you were there? Bash, eh? Oh, yeah. Started at um, about twelve million dollars at wholesale, mm-hmm. um, and by the end uh, we had a we had a different business model, which was the change. Obviously, I led the business through. We had a very different different business model, so we were looking after a franchise network. Uh, which is worth about 120 million. So ten times. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. And a very different um, uh, profit proposition. So, um, and I, and I think the thing was, and this kind of relates the first point about understanding your brand. The second point, when I first got to Bache, we spent a lot of time defining what Ella Bache was all about, right? And I spent three months going out talking to salon owners. Which who ran all our salons, obviously, and asking them what Alabashe meant to them. So I did that exercise literally with our salon owners and why do you buy Bashe? Why do you work with Alabashe? What do you love about the product? What do you love about the history, the story? You know, just really understanding what it was that these people were so invested in and had been for 50 years by the time I got to the company. Um, and what became very clear very early is that the Alabashe self. So this is knowing yourself. The Alabashe brand was all about love and all about um, helping customers feel better about themselves. Nothing more rewarding than seeing a kid um, fix their acne. You know, suddenly they're going from looking at the ground and being embarrassed about their skin to actually looking you in the eye. I mean, it just made you cry. It was so beautiful. Um, And that's what Bashe was about, you know, helping people's self-confidence. Um, so, you know, that was, sounds so simple, but, you know, I think probably some of that had been lost sight of. But then the other point that we had. Can I connect um, what you said about the first point um, about backing yourself rather than selling yourself is about backing yourself and then confidence within self. There's, a, there's an amazing correlation there. Just totally. Like, totally. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the realisation with Alabasha is there was a business need as well. You know, I was in the position where I needed to keep the business running and pay our people and we were getting perilously close there for a while. Um, And so I had a responsibility not just to do the brand stuff but to also make sure that it was a going concern and and that we could continue to pay the people who we were responsible for their careers. And so, you know, we did actually say, okay, we've got all the love in the world. Bache is full of love. What we need to get is some business systems around that. And so the big thing that I led was selling, selling this change to the business. And by the business, I mean the salon owners, the department stores, the staff. But the customer wasn't really relevant at that point. This was more internal. Oh, the ACCC I had to sell it to as well. So this was like, okay, we we need to change this up a bit, you know. We need to take all the things we've got off our butcher's paper, you know, the brand of Bache. We need to wrap a business model around it. We need to get our stakeholders or our business partners to sign a piece of paper to say that they'll play by the rules. And then, and we need to do all of that without losing the charm of the brand. Um, And so for me, leading a business through that kind of change required... um, Firstly, a lot of focus. It obviously required me to back myself. 
um, because there were very there were a lot of opportunities through that process. I could have I could have um, backed down. So yeah, plenty of opportunities at that point to change direction and just say, you know what, this is too hard. We'll just do what we were doing, you know, and make it someone else's problem. But I was so passionate about who we were as a brand and my personal alignment with that. Um, like if I, I didn't believe in it, I couldn't have done it. Great strength. I could not have done it if I didn't believe in it. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, there was just that synergy between my personal values, the brand and what the brand was all about and the change that we were trying to lead. To me, it just was totally synergistic. You know, there was nothing that was out of whack. Now, in saying that, there were people that that change did not suit. And I knew that. And do you think I tried to talk them out of it? No. In fact, we had had a a handful of salons. I actually said to them, don't don't do this. Don't come forward with Bache. You need to go and find another brand because this is not right for you. Now, if I was just a hard, cold, old-fashioned salesperson, I would have seen that 100 grand a year going down the toilet and thought, oh, I'm not giving that away. But I knew that that person, if we, maybe we would have got 100 grand a year from them for a year. But that relationship was going to be turned toxic and was absolutely not going to deliver the appropriate, you know, business relationship long-term. Yeah, value. It's, 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 um... Same at Freedom. You know, as I, when I was at Freedom, we had uh, what we used to call a, the million-dollar club. <laughs> and these were the amazing salespeople that used to sell more than a million dollars worth of furniture a year. Um, for everyone listening, for all the people listening, um, I was retail director at Freedom for a few years after Bache. Um, anyway, so we had these million-dollar salespeople and some of them were, oof, you know, that old-fashioned, old-fashioned shark kind of profile. And uh, for whatever reason, the business had never dealt with the behaviours of some of these people. And most of the cases, they were women, I hate to say, but never dealt with the behaviours of, of these people. And it was always like, we can't afford to lose them. So I was a sales manager, you know, we can't afford to lose them. And, of course, I came in and said, you know what, we can. Because for all, for every one of these sharks floating around the stores, there's probably three or four big fish who are like getting ready to want to t- to want to actually step up, and this shark at the top is <laughs> is intimidating them and stopping them from shining. And uh, so we had quite a few interesting discussions with these million dollar sharks that needed to leave the business uh, because they were not they were terrorists. I saw them as terrorists to what the brand was meant to stand for in the whole service culture. So that's another example of leading a, a, a change that's based on brand and building authentic sales processes mm. that, 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 that relate back to um, brand. Um, did that answer those first two? Well, I think it does because what, I, what, I, what I'm hearing is the importance of, um, of, uh, of aligning everyone inside the business with a particular brand yep. and that if you don't play by the rules of that brand, then you don't fit on our playing field. So thank you for your service, but we'll go um, to another park. And but it's also about the person, the employee. 
making their own decision as well and being okay with who are they. And if they don't fit the rules, that's totally fine. You know, they an employee should not feel like they have to um, sacrifice who they are as a person to fit in. Now, as a young, up-and-coming, ambitious person, we're all happy to do that to a point. Mm. But I guess as a young person, I remember being young once, so as a young person, my advice is don't necessarily walk out in a rage of glory and say my values don't align, but just have an awareness around that and then use the experience in that organisation as a stepping stone, as a, as a way to develop and to connect your dots, you know, 12 years, 13 years to connect those dots. So use that experience as one of your dots. Um, mm-hmm. And just have the awareness around that, that, you know what, maybe this is not going to be right for me long term, but while I'm here, I'm really going to learn this, I'm going to use it to develop this skill, you know, I'm very aware of from here I'm going to go over here and and just use it as a, it's all experience, you know, and there's there's no bad experience. Um, Being sold too. Yeah, you've you've sort of talked about some of the the sharks or salespeople you work with, but tell us about being sold to and and, and the... The more memorable ones, the good ones and the bad ones that you that you uh Yeah, well the good and the bad is sort of the same story. When we were when I was at Alabashe um again, when we were looking to develop this new business model, I needed to work with some consultants and some lawyers, obviously, because we were going down a, a very litigious path and um we, I didn't know what, you know, I just know, you know, I knew we wanted to investigate franchising, but I knew we didn't want to do it like, I didn't want to just take Gloria Jean's model or any, you know, Starbucks model or one of the well-known franchise models and just slap that onto the Alabashe business. Again, because I had respect for the brand and, and I knew that we needed to tweak and mould your sort of stock standard model to suit the business. So anyway, I, I started to interview and I put out to tender various franchise consultants. Oh my god, I gotta tell you, some of them. Some of them, I just there were about three. The first three I met, just they came in with the sharp suits, the shiny brogue shoes, you know, the shoes with the little holes in them, you know, shiny. You could see your face in some of their shoes, they were so shiny. Slick as these guys were slick. They came in with a little portfolio and the you know, the shiny belt, like they they were everything stereotypical, like yucky sales profile uh, that you can imagine. And I just got the the schmooziest, the words. One of them even said, um, oh, can I compliment you on your outfit? Who says that, right? And just every word that came out of the mouths of two of these guys I believe not a, not a thing they were saying. And it's because I got cliche, I got cliche compliments. I got cliche responses to my questions. They just had a standard proposal that they threw in front of me, but it was so glossed up and so packaged up. Um, they bought a gift, right? Like it just was everything that you read um, of what not to trust in a salesperson. Then the third guy that came in, he was about 75, (laughs) Um, a gorgeous man, not prepared at all. He came in and uh, he just said to me, why do you want to, oh, that's right, none of the others asked me why. 
we wanted to franchise. No one asked me why. No one asked me for the story of Alabashe, right? Mike came in and he said, why do you want to franchise? I don't know much about skincare. Can you tell me the story? And that, that is all we talked about on our first meeting. That's it, right? And then he said, I'd really like to go away and think about this and come back to you with something that I really think might work. <laughs> Guess who I trusted straight up, you know? And the other guys, I could not get them out fast enough. Could not get them out of the office quickly enough. Uh, and, and I just think that that is such, and I'm still connected to Mike today, you know, this guy. Uh, he, he's now 85. I went to his 85th birthday. Uh, he's a gorgeous, gorgeous man. Um, he's, you know, and we've shared many wonderful moments. Um, you know, he's a larrikin. He's genuine. Uh, he's a bit naughty, but he absolutely knows his stuff. You'd love him, Charlie, actually. He absolutely knows his stuff. Uh, and he, he just asked the perfect questions. And those questions that he asked me were proof that he was listening to what I was saying and he was genuinely interested in providing a solution that suited my needs. Right? And, you know, we've all got stories like that and uh, those, that they, they, they both stick out for me, um, like stand out. Yeah, no, that's perfect. It's perfect. I, I mean, I took a lot out of it. I, 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 I enjoyed it. And uh, it, it just makes you think what, what, what school various people go through in terms of where they where the shiny uh, think where do they learn that and because it's been pretty old-fashioned like it has been for a while right i wonder where they i wonder where they are now those people you know yeah um karen thanks for all of that i wonder and i'm conscious of time i wonder if if you could share with the audience, what are the, the three biggest learnings you've had in your life? I know that we haven't really talked about your, um, I don't know whether it's your, your competitiveness around your, um, you know, the, the CrossFit stuff that you do. But what, what, do, you, what do you think, what do you think, um, you know, we've talked, we, we talked off, off air about um, when, when you get it wrong um, because you've trusted someone and you've displayed vulnerability yeah. um, and how you're able to learn from that through resilience. What are, what are, what are Karen, Karen Matthews' three sort of secrets to success for, for, for up-and-coming salespeople yeah. in the retail and or, or yeah. beauty space? What, 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 would, you, what, what would you tell I, a 20-year-old Karen Matthews? I think the first thing I would say is don't be a rush. Don't be in a, like give yourself time to connect your dots, right? And within that, give yourself time to learn the lessons. So when you get punched in the face or you fall over, don't be defeated, you know. Look, have, have your eyes open enough to learn what you did, what you may have done wrong in that situation. But more importantly, was that just... Was it a function of you did something wrong or was it a function of that you really stood up for what you believed in? Um, and if it's the former, then learn from that. But if it's the latter, then that's okay. 
don't don't let that punch in the face um, be a reason to doubt who you stand for. The lesson out of that might be that you didn't perhaps um, wrap up your style well enough. You know, maybe you were in a bit of a rush to force something. Um, you know, there may be a different lesson there, but the lesson you would take out of that is not that there is something wrong with your style. It's just maybe you didn't you didn't present your style in the best way, if you know what I mean. So it's 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 just as you as you as you fall and you get knocked. You know, it, when it happens to us all the time, um, and we get better at it. It still hurts. You yeah. know, it still makes you angry. You still want to come up fighting, but I think the important thing is that you learn from everything, um, and that learning should be it should be a, a way for you to enhance what you stand for, not change it. If you're going to change something, it might be changing how you deliver that message. So, so that's my first thing. Um, the other thing is use every experience for what it's worth. You know, and and never say things like that was a waste of time. There's two years I won't get back. <laughs> you know, oh, oh waste of my time, you know, doing that course. Whatever it is, um, try not to see experiences as the waste of time. Um, try and see them as a step forward, you know, see it as a stepping stone. You might be in an organization now and you think, oh, this is not I'm not gonna be here for the long haul. Um, that's okay, you know. It, it takes time to to develop your style properly. Um, back yourself, back yourself, back yourself, and back yourself. Um, and and I think you know you're not going to be for everyone and be okay with that. Says me, who likes to be liked by everybody. Um, but like you know, I know that I'm going to upset people. Um, I, I I upset some people today, and. <laughs> Uh, and I know I'm going to upset people. You know, I'm strong. I'm a strong character. I'm a strong personality. Um, um, and you know what? After a long time, I'm finally okay with that. And uh, you know, and I think it does take a certain amount of resilience to just push through the hurt and the anger. But uh, the important thing is that at some point, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, you will actually uh, push through it. So, so I think you know. Always back yourself um, and and find a way of making the concepts that you believe in, whether they're buzzwords or not. Make a way of make find a way of making those concepts really an extension of who you are, like part of your DNA. Because if you can do that, then you're always going to be authentic, and you can't go wrong. You know, if you're authentic, you actually can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I have been learning together for a couple of years now. A, a good friend of mine says, "I'm either winning or I'm learning." Yes, right. and, um, and I don't know how many times I've heard it in the last five or ten or even 20 years, but I was listening to a podcast the other day by Tony Robbins yeah. and he said the mo- one of the most important things you can do to be successful is follow your, your own intuition. Yeah, that's right. I don't, think, I don't think I learned that early enough and I'm not forgetting it now. Every- Trust it Trust it Yeah. And I think the thing is you learn over time, like I was a total gut truster, you know, but sometimes that can be a bit maverick, you know, and and I think what you learn with experience is your gut will be right. There's no question your gut will be right. But what you learn over time is to put a a few checks and balances 
before you act, you know. So mm-hmm. rather than just going off like a bull in a china shop because you had a reaction, your gut says go and you just go, uh, especially as a business leader or a senior person responsible for staff, you need to be diligent and you need to think through what acting on that gut reaction might look like and, you know, have a little bit of a plan around it and just double-check that it's not just a maverick reaction. It probably won't be. But before you launch forward into action, you do need to, you know, put a little bit of shape, shape around that. But always trust your gut, always. Nine times out of ten, it's 100% correct. Nine times out of ten, it's 100% correct. I reckon that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good way to end. Um, but I don't think we've covered it all from your story, Karen. So I'm going to put out there that I'm going to come back to you. Uh, at some stage in the future and maybe do another episode that um, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this. I hope you have too. And, um, yeah. and uh, I hope... Sorry, I so much. I do talk no, a lot. No, no. Well, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, and, but I, I, you know, I'm grateful and I'm sure the others out there listening are too. Thank you very much, Karen. So. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie.